0: are you not entertained get busy living or get busy dying all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us well welcome to this week's edition of taboo talk with jay Louder. i've got to say before we get started that Today's topic is something that I've really wanted to discuss for quite some time, and we have been unable to make this a podcast because, quite honestly, there are a lot of people who don't want to or who are unwilling to discuss today's issue because it is such, not only is it a very sensitive issue, but on top of that, it has been so politicized that it has created a firestorm among sides that are for and against it. And so I am extremely excited and really thrilled that we have the opportunity to address something that really needs to and must be addressed. And I couldn't be more happy to have the guests that we have, Ashley Steinhauer. Ashley, did I pronounce your last name correct?
1: You sure did. Great job on
0: that. (laughs) Well, good. It's so good to have you today. And some of you may be familiar with her. Ashley is a person who has been in Washington, D.C. She has spoken at the March for Life. She has such an incredible and compelling story. Ashley, welcome to today's podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me.
0: Yeah. So let's start off here just to kind of set the table. Tell us a little bit about your background, Ashley. Did you grow up... a Christian home? Did you not? Tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Sure. So I would say in general, yes, in the sense of, you know, I knew that we believed in God. However, with the, you know, particular denomination that I grew up in, we didn't really attend church regularly. You know, it was on major holidays, so to speak. So I didn't really have that foundation of, you know, praying daily or before every meal or just, you know, just having that feeling of, of God as being my foundation. I knew I believed in him, but I guess the simplest way to put it is he always just seemed like a distant judge more so than a loving father.
0: So were you actually, actually a true believer or were you someone like me that you, yeah, you went to church on occasion, but you didn't have an, an authentic, real relationship with Christ.
1: Correct. I would definitely say I did not at that time have an authentic relationship with him. How
0: old were you when you became a true believer?
1: So I was, I would say, okay, I was 22 years old. So I was in college. And thankfully, I wound up moving away from my hometown for a brief period when I went to nursing school initially. And a long story very short, I moved in with a family of a very good friend of mine through a series of events where I lost my apartment and different things like that. And this particular family became like a second family to me. And they were very involved in church. They went to a local non-denominational church. And, um, and that's when I started going. And I mean, the Lord just opened up my eyes to who he was and, and all that there was to the relationship truly with him. And so, so I got saved at the age of 22.
0: So was that kind of a wake up call for you? Because for me, I got saved actually as a very, almost the same age 21, but I thought my whole life, I was a believer. I'd, I'd been baptized and walked an aisle, et cetera. And so I thought I was a believer. Did you think you were a believer as well? Because you did go to church occasionally and y'all lived a moral life?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I thought I was a believer. And I guess in a sense, I was, but I did not have that salvation. You know, I believed that God was real, but I had no idea of who he was. The relationship, you know, just didn't exist at that time for me. Yeah. So I would say, yeah.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of difference. You know, I, I, like you, I knew about God and I could quote you a few verses, but to actually say I knew him personally, I, I didn't. And it's for me, it was a huge wake up call when I walked into church at 21 and realized that I'd spent my life believing a lie. Well, that that's awesome. So let's yeah. backtrack a little bit. So sure. did you grow up in a home where you were real close with your mother and your your dad, or was the relationship kind of strained? Tell us a little bit about your background that led up to this major life decision that you made at 18.
1: Sure. I grew up in a home where my mother and my biological father got divorced when I was about five and my mom got remarried to my stepdad who wound up adopting me. He's a wonderful man you know, stepped in as a fatherly figure for me. And there were many, many years where I did not speak to my real dad. Very rocky relationship initially, both with myself and him and then also with he and my mom. And so, you know, I think that that, in a sense, put a a bit of a strain on the relationship between myself and my mom as well. My mom's, you know, a very strong woman. She's walked through a lot, very independent. But with that comes pain. And, you know, as I'm spoke with you just a few moments ago about my upbringing and relationship with the Lord and so forth. I was doing everything I could to try and cover up or protect myself from more pain. And so both of us tended to be distant with one another. We didn't have this, you know, loving, mushy, so to speak, relationship where we talked about our feelings and things like that. So whenever, you know, I was 18 and I, you know, realize that I'm pregnant. I just didn't have that sense of, I could go to her and say, this is what has happened. What do I do? I just felt more along the lines of, okay, this has happened. I've got to take control of this and I've got to take care of this. So what's next, you know? So, so there wasn't that, that real close connection, so to speak.
0: Right. Now, I'm not revealing something that is not public knowledge. So in your teenage years, you became sexually active. Do you think that that part of that was as a result of the disconnect between you and your biological father?
1: I would say, you know, in essence, yes. If you get really down to the root or the depth of it, I would say yes. And by no means am I blaming him. I'm very very humble with this topic and with any issues or or sin nature that I had fallen into in the past. But I would say that, you know, ultimately, as I've kind of dug down deeper, the reason why I found myself in that position is because, you know, like that old country song, I was looking for love in all the wrong places. Mm -hmm. I was trying to fill this void, this need, this, my, my, interpretation of rejection and lack of love, lack of approval, lack of being good enough or valuable enough, you know, um, and, and that's, you know, of course, what I wound up feeling about God, our father as well. But I think that through guys or sitting in or, you know, just succumbing to peer pressure and all of those things, I found myself in that position where when a guy showed me and it, it wasn't multiple people, but when a boyfriend showed me this attention you know i wanted to have that deeper connection and i was trying to find it but obviously in a very unhealthy way
0: right yeah so you were in a relationship with this with this guy and then tell our listeners what 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 transpired what led to this life changing decision that we're going to discuss today
1: so, I mean, I, I had a boyfriend, he, I guess we were together for about a year and, you know, obviously we were sexually active. I was on birth control, but that does not mean, that does that's not a guarantee. I would just say that. And so I just discovered I was in my first semester of college and I started to feel really bad one particular morning. And I thought, is this, do I have a stomach virus? What, Gosh, why am I feeling so bad? And then immediately a light bulb went off and, and I thought to myself, oh my goodness, could I be pregnant? It, it was so far behind me as is even a possibility. And so, you know, basically it, it's, I don't know how to make it any more simple than that, so to speak. But I, I talked to him briefly about you know, what happened after taking a pregnancy test and so forth. But immediately I shut him out and I made the decision on my own to have an abortion. Was he
0: in support of that or is that something that he didn't want to do?
1: To be honest with you, I really didn't give him much of a choice. And, and years, years later, that's why I, I feel very sensitive to, to men, to fathers of, you know, of babies who were aborted, because I think that is the case often, you know, we think of it as this baby is my ownership and that's really not the case at all. But when I, I told him and I basically said, this is what I'm going to do. I didn't give him an opportunity, you know, to give me his opinion or, or tell me his feelings, or even just to process through it. I told him and, and that's all there was to it. You know,
0: he didn't fight you on that. I mean, he he just accepted (laughs) that this is the way it is and this is the way it's going to be.
1: Yeah, he did, He definitely did not fight me on it, but, but he, he just let me make the decision. He just yeah. accepted
0: it. Did you have a network? Like, were, were you able to go to your mom and, or your stepfather, or did you have close friends where you're able to say, hey, this is what's going on, and I'm debating and making a decision? Or was your decision already made, and, and, and you didn't need an outlet or didn't want an outlet to discuss it?
1: To be honest with you, I could I have gone to my parents? Yes. I mean, uh, you know, it's not that they... Didn't allow me to or ever, ever said anything to the effect of, if this ever happens to you, figure it out, don't come to me. I mean, that was never spoken. It was just something that I interpreted. And that could have, you know, been completely incorrect, of course, because it was all based on my feelings. But... I told two of my friends, the two friends that I told were not believers. They, you know, would have reacted the same way that I did. And beyond that, I didn't share it with anybody because, to be honest, I didn't want to hear them telling me any different than the, the decision that I made. You know, I was so filled with fear and, and, and selfishness and all of these different things that it was as if I'd just you know, I didn't want to ask because I didn't want to know anything different than what the decision was that I had already made in my head.
0: Was part of that because of the fact that, okay, hey, I'm in college. I want to get my degree. Maybe part of it was because you didn't think that there might be a long-term relationship with this boyfriend, even though y'all been together a year. I mean, what went into that process? Or was it just simply, I'm not ready?
1: I think it was all of the above. You know, I definitely, of course, initially felt, I'm not ready. But the first thing, if I had to be honest, is I felt, I, I felt fear. But even more than that, selfishness. You know, I felt like, oh my gosh, my life is over. I won't be able to do what I want to do anymore. I'm not going to be able to finish school because I'm not going to be able to study. If I have a baby, how can I afford school? How can I do all these things that, you know, I had as expectations of the future for my life and, you know, growing up, my mom often would say, you've got to make something of yourself. You cannot depend upon anybody else. You have to figure it out yourself. You need to make sure you have a career. You need to make sure you can take care of yourself and never be in a position where you have to depend on someone else to do that. So I think those you know, those words were lingering in my mind. How am I going to be able to do that if I have a child?
0: You know? Right. Now, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're saying that really the the, the sole decision was really based on how this was going to inconveniently affect your life.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Now, as I read your story, Ashley, I I was completely, man, it was just so, I don't even know the right word, but hearing Mm -hmm. what actually transpired the day that you decided to go in for the abortion, if you would walk our listeners through that, because quite honestly, and I've never been in a abortion clinic, but I was completely caught off guard when I read your story about how all that unfolded, about how nonchalant, I mean, it was as though you were going in to get a, to, as I read it to me, is it like you were going into the dentist office to get a cavity filled? If you could talk a little bit about what happened that day and, and, and kind of uh, unwrap for us what that experience was like with the procedure.
1: Sure. So, you know, obviously you can walk in and, and get abortions at abortion clinics like Planned Parenthood and, and things like that. But it looked a little bit different for me in the sense of, you know, I, this is such an oxymoron, if if I could type of statement, because I was looking for the safest version of abortion. And there truly isn't one, you know. So what I did was I called. I looked around, you know, in the yellow pages, which, you know, that's a phone book for people who don't even know what that is anymore. But I looked on the yellow pages and looked under abortion clinics, and most of them were these in and out very cold, very aggressive and, you know, just dark places. But this particular place that I called and made an appointment at was an OBGYN clinic. And so this was, you know, I was 18 and I'm I'm forty one. So this was over twenty years ago. So things looked a little different as far as legalities and so forth. So I made the appointment. They sent in a prescription for a pill for me to take thirty minutes prior when I was driving in just to you know, relaxed me. It was like a volume. So it was nothing that was uh, where I was so out of sorts that I couldn't make a decision. You know, I've had you could imagine the very ugly and mean things people have said to me about me and so forth, which it's it's all okay. But never ever am I saying that it I didn't make a decision myself. This is it was my decision. It was no one else's fault, you know. But With that said, I was still under the influence, and that's what they would do. They would make it to where you weren't as cognizant of what was going on because, obviously, you might change your mind more easily. So we arrived. I had to sign in, and it was an OBGYN's office, so I think it was probably a little bit less cold than a Planned Parenthood, but very gray, very heavy. When when I walked in, I didn't realize what I was discerning at that time, but I know now. And so I signed in barely kind of remembering the specifics. They called me back. There was no conversation. There was no discussion, no education, nothing, no no consent even. I was in a, a regular exam room like any OBGYN's office. And the physician who walked in You know, I just remember him being tall and having darker, you know, toned skin, just like he was, he was from a different country. I could tell he had a very heavy accent and he walked in and and literally just said, are you ready to, you know, Hey, are you ready? I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but it was not many more words than that. And, and I said, hi, yes, thank you. I, I am. And so he came in immediately. I mean, I'm not sure, you know how specific of the details you'd like, but immediately started the procedure. There was no conversation, no nothing and inserted, you know, ultrasound probe cannula and without thinking, I think because of of taking that particular pill, you know, I just wasn't as sharp as normal. And so the first and only thing he said to me after walking in was, well there's your baby do you want to see it and without thinking I, I unfortunately you know i looked at the screen and and i saw i mean we've all seen pictures of what a fetus looks like on an ultrasound picture and so forth and and that's what i saw and i and i did see a, a flickering heartbeat and before i could even say anything it was it was as if it was started and was finished almost within the same second it felt like to me Just a
0: second. Is that normal procedure? Again, I've never been in one of these clinics. Is that a normal procedure for someone who's about to have an abortion? I I know you're a nurse practitioner, so you probably can answer this question, but do they normally offer a a woman the opportunity to see the child prior to the abortion?
1: I would say almost a hundred percent, I would say no, because they understand just like at our crisis pregnancy centers, when you truly see the the baby on ultrasound that is a big aha moment you know that's where it brings truth and reality to the life of that of that baby and so more often than, than not I would absolutely say no they would not want you to look at the ultrasound but you know an ultrasound is not always used either because of the the weeks you know that the first trimester they had to use the ultrasound to make sure that they were able to get it but it's it, very gruesome and, and very aggressive within the second and third trimester when those abortions take place. It's almost as if they, they don't even need to to do much with an ultrasound because the baby is so large and it's it's awful, you know, the way the procedures go in that sense. So I don't know if it was because this physician was, you know, half abortionist, half OBGYN. You know, I don't really have a good reason as to why that happened the way that it did, but I would say definitely that's not the way it normally goes.
0: Now, you were under the influence, you said, of a valium, but I mean, and I understand that you didn't have time to really process this. Was there a moment when you saw that, that it was, that you were just, what was that like? I mean, were you caught off guard by it? Did it somehow influence you to where you might have had second thoughts? I know you didn't have time to do that, but where you might have had second thoughts or stopped a procedure or maybe something I, that haunted you after it was over.
1: Definitely. Again, I would say yes to all of the above. Um, it definitely is a picture that's etched in my mind that has haunted me for years beyond that. And um, and in addition to that, I feel as though if I would have been a little bit more aware that I would have had second thoughts. For example, if certainly if I would have gone to a crisis pregnancy center first, as opposed to going to this clinic first, it, it would have been a whole different presentation, you know, with the ultrasound, with conversations about the baby and, and options and things like that. But, you know, I, I, I now, you know, of course I would say that I, I, I would have changed my mind then. It's it's hard to know. It's yeah. it's really hard to know because of the place I was in at that time in my life.
0: So the process it, it happens very quickly and the yeah. process is done and you're about to walk out of the clinic or, or, or you are. Do you have a sense of relief or I mean what are you feeling at that time? What what's going through your head?
1: I felt both relief And this deep, pitting feeling of just sickness. I was so sick, not literally nauseated in the sense of, you know, physiologically, but my, my angst and my shame and the heaviness and the guilt immediately. I mean, it immediately set in. That made me feel sick to my stomach. It felt like this heavy thing of regret. And, but at the same time, I felt relief. Because I felt like I never have to talk about this again. Nobody will ever know this. You know, okay, this this is over. But it really wasn't. It was just the beginning.
0: Wow. And so what about your boyfriend? Was he there at the clinic with you? Or what was his response? Or, or how did this impact your relationship with him if he wasn't there when you guys reconvened?
1: He was not there. He I, I almost, you know, it's something that I have dealt with, you know, my whole life earlier on, especially is I would shut people out. I became very good at that because I felt like if I shut you out, you can't hurt me, which obviously is a lie in itself. But I shut him out because I didn't want to know what he thought. I didn't want to hear his opinion on it, you know, and so he didn't come. A friend of mine came or, you know, I should say a friend of mine brought me actually. And we did get in touch with him that evening. I went back to her apartment. So I was, you know, at at Southeastern, it's just a local college, but I didn't, li- I lived at home, but I just told my parents I was spending the night at my friend's house, you know, that particular night. So I stayed at her apartment just in case there was any bleeding or not feeling well or anything. So they wouldn't ask questions. And we got in touch with him that evening just to let him know that it was over with. But I didn't see him for at least a couple of days after that. And honestly, we never talked about it again. So your, we never your relationship
0: did. continued though. You guys, I mean, it didn't split you up. It
1: did for a little while, but it fizzled, it fizzled out not too long after that.
0: Do you think part of that was because of the abortion or, or just you guys were growing apart?
1: I think it was part of the, because of the abortion, because I, I, distance myself from him we were also growing apart and he was going somewhere in life you know where i didn't want to go for my future he wasn't making the best decisions and and things like that so i knew enough to know that that's not what i wanted for my future
0: okay so as you move on as we kind of speed up the process of going through your life is this something that is an ongoing thought is this something that Haunt you, or are you able to make a clean break once the abortion's done and just move on with your life?
1: It's something that I didn't think about every day, to be honest, because I think it's like a defense mechanism. I buried it so deep that I, I almost forced myself to tuck it away in a separate box that that I almost, you know, couldn't access unless it was prompted, so to speak. But when I would see someone, especially if they looked young and they were pregnant, when I would hear the word abortion, I felt like I heard it all the time, you know, whether it be in, I mean, it wasn't often, but if it was in a church service, if it was in just conversation of somebody was deciding to do this, and and I felt like this myopic vision with it, you know, almost when I heard it, I felt like immediately I'm acting different. Everybody's going to know that this is making me uncomfortable. And it, it was It was daunting in that sense, and it affected me much more than I realized. It wasn't as obvious that that was the cause, but as I've gone through healing, I now know that the effects of it were there every moment of every day of my life.
0: Yeah, and and to a degree, you were able to compartmentalize it, but then knowing your story, something happens that brings this all right back to the forefront. So you meet a wonderful man who you end up getting married to, and then explain to us how this kind of starts coming full circle.
1: Well, so God spoke to me. If I could just mention one little thing right before that, God spoke to me a, year, a few years before I got married to my husband. And I was at a women's event at a local you know, Baptist church here in town. And Lisa Turkhurst was a speaker there. And I remember, I mean, I just loved her, thought she was great. And, you know, so excited to hear her. And part of her story, I was shocked to know, included her having an abortion in college. And I'd never heard that. I never knew that about her. And the Lord gave me a vision when I heard her say that of me standing on a stage, almost in the same type of setting, speaking to people. And immediately I shook my head because I had. Still never told one person, you know, aside from my couple of friends who knew. And so I just kind of let that go, forgot about it. And then a few years after that, I was at an event at our local church and I wound up speaking to, um, a, a, it was a, a freedom event. I wound up speaking to a, a woman there that I was praying with after one of the, the certain parts of the service. And I finally opened up to her about it. So when I opened up to her about it, That's how I got connected into the abortion recovery group. But that allowed me to be able to feel comfortable saying to my husband, this is what's happened. And it was really something I told him and and we talked about more so because we were dealing with issues of infertility ourselves. How long
0: had you been married at this time, Ashley?
1: you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say and, and, and not be telling the truth. I don't remember exactly. It was not long. It was, I would say less than a year. It but, was not long. But he had no
0: idea that you had had an abortion. And I'm presuming that, is this something that you just thought, I can't afford to let him know this I, with the shame and the regret and the guilt that comes with it. I, I'm just going to keep this thing buried. was that kind of the thought process?
1: Definitely. That was definitely the thought process because I thought if he knew, he pretty much knew everything else about me. You know, if if I had to say there were any little silly secrets or whatever, but this big thing, I thought, well, if he knows this, he won't have me. If he knows this, there is no way he's going to want me because he's going to be so disgusted with me, so disappointed. And he grew up in a very Christian home and, um, you know, had a relationship with the Lord. And And I just believed that if he knew that about me, he would never want to be with someone like me.
0: Wow. So not yeah. only do you carry this guilt and this regret and this shame, there's also this fear, and especially a fear mm-hmm. that is regarding the most important person in your life, and, but yet now because of kind of this vision and now you're involved in this this recovery support group, the decision is made to tell your husband. What does he say? I'm I'm sure you're terrified.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I remember sitting and telling him about this because I thought, okay, this is it. When I tell him this, he is not gonna want to be with me, you know? And so he was exactly opposite of that. He was exactly what A Christian truly who has a relationship with the Lord, who, you know, carries all of the fruits of the Spirit, he he acted exactly like that. He... He said, I can't judge you. That that could have been me. You know, I wasn't perfect before, you know, meeting you and, and starting a relationship with you. I, It's not like I had never done anything that could have gotten me into the same position. And he said, how can I judge you based on this? That's not who you are. And, and I just felt this tremendous amount of relief because I, I really never felt comfortable telling anybody that, but I really didn't want to tell him because of, you know, the obvious reasons I just mentioned.
0: Yeah, well, it's amazing how confession always seems to bring so much healing. So you've told your husband, and he's responded. You couldn't have asked for him to respond better than what he did. So now, right. where do you go from here? Is it kind of the launch pad where you go, okay, now that my husband knows, and now that I'm kind of beginning to deal with this, and I'm involved in this group, this is an opportunity for me to to really step out and to use my story and to be able to help others.
1: Right. You know, we walked through, I I was still struggling with a lot of the lies from the enemy because the enemy, I mean, you you mentioned something earlier and it just made me think, you know, the the whole deal is the enemy wants us to keep it a secret. He wants us to think that no one would ever accept us, love us, or not judge us if they knew this thing about us. It's all revolves around shame. The root of that we all know is fear, you know, and, and there are so many people who, who really would be there to love on those who confess this. And so throughout, you know, the process, I had three miscarriages. So even though my husband knew about it and it was, I was more open, I felt like God was punishing me. I felt like God was punishing my husband just because of, you know, almost guilty by association, so to speak, I still walked through a lot. So it certainly was not a, I told him I was free and boom, here I am, you know, telling everybody my story. I still was not at a position where I was sharing anything, you know, with with the masses, you know, for sure. But when I was in this this abortion recovery group, Forgiven and Set Free, I got approached to first speak at our church at this big event, you know, there was going to be over 2000 people there and I prayed about it because I was terrified. And, but, but I just, I, I heard from the Lord, you be obedient. I'm going to cover you in this and it's going to be fine. And so I agreed to do it. That fell through, but the Lord just wanted to see and know that my heart was going to be trusting in him and his forgiveness. And so wasn't long after that I got approached to speak in Washington DC and it was at the March for Life and there were thousands of people there and and I remember I had told other people you know by my choosing if it was somebody who was pregnant and was going to have an abortion or someone who you know confessed it to me because they knew you know I was involved in this group but never told a large amount of people and every single time that I Folk to, you know, thousands or hundreds of people, more and more freedom took place inside of me. And God was just able to use my, my testimony, my story to help bring healing in others as well.
0: You mentioned earlier that you wondered, because of the miscarriages, you found out that because of the abortion, that there had been some damage done, that made it impossible at the time for you to have a child. And you you talked about feeling like God was punishing you. Did your husband also feel that same thing that God was inadvertently, or I guess indirectly, I should say, punishing him as well? Or was that something that he didn't agree with?
1: He did not agree with that. He did not. And to be honest, I didn't tell him that I felt that way for a long time, you know, and then in tears, I shared that with him and he just spoke truth to me about it. He said, of course, that that God's not punishing us. You know, this is this is something that happened, this is something, you know, that is in your past, but we're not being punished for that now, you know, and again, I, I held that thing in, that that lie that I believed, and he was able to speak truth to that, you know, I'm so grateful for it. But you no, know, he didn't feel that way at all.
0: And from what I read in your story, Ashley, this is not uncommon, is that correct, for many women who have had an abortion that there are yeah. consequences that inhibit their ability to have a child in the future is that is that correct
1: absolutely absolutely some have recurrent miscarriages some are not able to bear children at all uh-huh. you know
0: and you went through a process and again I don't understand all that but you were able to go to a doctor correct and and have yeah. some have a surgery done where you were able to conceive is that is that right
1: that's correct yes I, I did they they have to remove the scarring in my uterus so that way there was healthy tissue there. So the, the embryo, you know, the, the fetus could attach to the lining of my uterus because prior to that, there was so much scar tissue, it wasn't able to do that or they were not able to do that. You know, there wasn't enough blood supply, so then they would, they would die.
0: Well, I'd certainly agree with your husband that God wasn't punishing you, but I also know yeah. that there are many people who there are people, will be people listening to this podcast that maybe not this issue, but but because of something else that they've done or some mistake that they've made, that they feel like that this vengeful God has a vendetta, and so he's going to continue to put affliction on them because of some past mistake that they've made. And while I don't believe that God does that, I mean, certainly there are consequences, as you explained, you know, a physical consequence that took place. But yet, what was that like, actually when... I mean, I hope this isn't a strange question, but when you had the first child, when you were actually, you had the surgery and you were able to bring a child into this world, was that moment in some way squelched because it was a reminder of what could have been from years ago? Or was your healing so deep at that point that it was just such a such a joy that you were able to have a child that you were no longer still holding on to the past?
1: I think... I would say that it was the latter. You know, I had really walked through, I had started the process of healing, but yet wasn't completely there. So I was so overjoyed, you know, with just having our son, just because I thought I I literally for years believed that I would not ever be able to have a child. It, It wasn't just physical, you know, consequences that took place in me. I had fear. Regarding being able to have or not being able to have a child, that was so palpable, that was just so intense, it was almost paralyzing. So, you know, when I had my son, I was just so thankful that I was able to have a child, I was so grateful to God. But yet, at the same time, there was a a part of me that felt sadness, as in the sense of also missing out, because I knew that that could have been the case for me, you know, years before as well,
0: right? And then you had told your your husband. At what point did your mom find out, and what was her response? Was it was it something of guilt that you felt you couldn't come to her, or was she frustrated with you that you had not revealed the secret?
1: Both, or maybe I should say, all three. So I I mentioned I mentioned earlier it was it was tough. I mentioned earlier that I was supposed to speak at this event at our local church, and it, that was in 2017, and so. I knew that if she knew I was going to be speaking and 2,500 women would be there, she would want to come see me because, you know, oh, of my course. daughter's speaking and it's great. And, you know, and so, so I said, Oh my goodness. So I cannot have my mom finding out that I had an abortion at the same time as 2,500 other people. <laughs> so what am I going to do about this? And I, I told her, I said, I need to talk to you. Um, and so I told her and. I think I've almost blocked that out a little bit, but you know, I think that I caught her off guard so much. Um, she had mixed emotions. She had mixed responses. She, I think was dealing with some guilt, feeling like, why did I not feel like I could talk to her? Her, her response to me then was, I wouldn't, I would not have told you to do that. You know, that that wouldn't have been my response. But then at the same time, she also said, well, what else have you lied to me about? <laughs> you know, so. a Typical mom. Yes, it, exactly. <laughs> Typical, any mom probably would respond, most at least, would respond that way.
0: <laughs> that's 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 great. Well, of course, everybody knows what took place last summer. And of course, the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. And of course, it's been left yeah. up to the states. and And I really don't know any topic that has more vitriol with it than this. And I'm not saying this because obviously I'm against abortion, but it seems to me that the most angry of the crowd is people who are for abortion. Uh, I, yeah. And I would imagine now that you've come out and you know, you've spoken at the, at the March for Life in Washington, D.C., do you get a lot of support or do you have a lot of people who, who are very critical of you and come against you?
1: definitely overwhelmingly more support than, you know, more controversy or, or hatred. But there are there are many, many comments that have been, usually it's through social media, you know, if there's anything that I share on my Facebook, or, you know, a lot of things like I I was, they did an article, the Epoch Times did, or a video testimony for them, you know, so there's been different things that have been shared. And I've not had anybody assault me or attack me or anything like that physically. At the March for Life, there's a lot of, you know, pro-choice, a lot of pro-life, and they would just scream things at us as a whole, but it was awful. I mean, it's you know, I always say if there's anybody who questions, is there true good versus evil, true, you know, angelic versus demonic, you go to something like that and you see demonic. So strong but you also see God you see the Holy Spirit's presence and, and it, it it overtakes it, you know. But I've had people who have messaged me privately who have had abortions some who, who say I could never say it. I, I could never tell everybody like you do, but thank you so much. You, you don't know what you've done in my heart and my life with what you've shared. I've had people who say, how can you be so judgmental and, and think you should choose what I have the right to choose? Because I had an abortion and this is why. And, and I had every right to, you know, so um, I get feedback both ways.
0: Why do you think that it's so volatile? I mean.
1: Because th- the shame it's so heavy. The shame associated with it is so heavy and the fear. I mean, I I just feel like the fear is such a root of almost every, you know, thing that we struggle with. Shame is fear of exposure. If everybody knows you, they can judge you, you know, and and, then you're dealing with roots of rejection and all of these things. And I'm not trying to, you know, be too deep with it, but people feel like oftentimes if they had an abortion and, you know, we spoke earlier, it's 1 in 3 African American women and 1 in 4 Caucasian women that's a lot of yeah. people wow. so when you've had an abortion you most people are not in the position where i am they either ignore it avoid it because they feel like a hypocrite some people you know do like me and it's hard to argue with me in the sense of you can't take away my story this is how i felt you can't tell me i don't regret it you know and then there's the people who they feel as though, how can I be pro-life because I did this? So I need to be way on this side of things.
0: Wow. One of the things you mentioned, Ashley, that I was thrilled to hear was the fact that you were given an opportunity or you had been invited to speak at a church about this issue. And I talked a little bit about this before we we, we got on the podcast today. One of the reasons that we started Taboo Talk is because now that I've been in ministry over 20 years and full-time evangelism, I think there are so many issues that the church is silent on. And, and it's always perplexing to me because the world is not silent about them, but somehow the church is. And so we often tackle and address issues that sometimes the church is very silent upon. I think that's how some of our, our children get into trouble because they hear a lot of these different issues discussed at school and they're getting information from the wrong places and it's not right. discussed in the home or at church. And so it's always exciting for me to hear when any of these taboo type issues are discussed. Have you noticed, right. and, and obviously there have been those cases where those opportunities have arisen. And again, that's great news. Have you also noticed, though, that there is a degree of which the church doesn't want to talk about this and they want to keep it, it secret and, and certainly... To me, that's a huge issue because, as I've always said, you're only sick as your secrets. And the enemy loves to keep to get us into a situation where we keep things secret because the longer we keep them secret, it tends to do two things. Number one, it tends to take us to a place of isolation. You talked about that earlier, about how you begin to withdraw from people. But not only Great. does it, it create this isolation, but the longer that we're silent about things, the, the more secrets that ha- we have, the less likely we are to get healing. So have you also experienced that not only are there some churches that are engaged and want to discuss this topic, but there are a lot of other churches that don't want to bring it to the forefront?
1: Yes. I mean, absolutely. You know, I've been, I've experienced both, you know, I think it's easy for, and when I say the church, you know, the church in general, the majority of the church, I think it's easy to say, you know, we're pro-life. We we love life. God loves life. I mean, that's, it's all over scripture. You read Psalm 139. I mean, it's, it's specifically, God tells us, I created you in your mother's womb, not as soon as you came out now i had your plan it was there before we know the sanctity and the beauty and importance of human life and it's easy to say i'm pro life because it, that's expected of the church of course we should say that but the actual word abortion that's where it becomes difficult and that's where people shy away from it or avoid it like the plague whichever you know way you fall into it because it's it's tricky because, you know, I think there's always this thought that I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want anyone to feel any worse than they probably already feel if they did it and, and are dealing with this shame and guilt and so forth. Or I don't want to make someone, you know, uncomfortable who hasn't walked through healing and then they're involved in the churches and, you know, then you feel like you're putting them out there in an uncomfortable place. But the thing is, There are so many people who have abortion in their past and they are not walking in full freedom and healing. And that's a, that's throughout our whole life, right? I am not at a place where I would say, Oh, I'm fully healed. That is a process until we die and we're with the Lord forever. But just even to walk out, just taking that step, just, just revealing that secret so you can start the healing journey. It's You know, you don't want to rob anyone of that because it's such a gift. And, you know, I I just wish that it it was talked about more. Well, slogans
0: and banners never change anybody's life. And as you said, I mean... Saying that we are pro-life, I mean that that's great, but that's making that statement is not boots on the ground as far as helping anybody. It's not guiding anybody. It's not assisting right. anybody. And again, one of the reasons that we started this podcast, and it seems it, it seems uh, it's, it's such a waste that on one hand, and I get it, we don't want to offend people. This is a very uncomfortable topic. I understand that. But at the same time, are we willing to sacrifice the healing of other people for the sake of not offending one group? You know, you mentioned part of this healing uh, was as a result of what helped stimulate some of that was coming out and talking to your husband and talking to other people. And so not discussing issues is never a solution. I mean, I know even in my own marriage, just the petty arguments or fights that we have, somehow always when we begin to communicate things, it's a process of healing, and and right. that's why even the Bible says, "Confess your faults to one another, and you'll be healed." That's the half brother of Jesus made that statement, and it just honestly, actually, it, it it angers me that these issues that if there's any place they should be discussed, the church should be discussing them, and we can't right. sacrifice the healing of other people so that we don't offend this other smaller group who may not want to come out to the forefront and deal with the hard questions, the hard issues. But right. I, I, I do agree with you. I think a lot of it is it comes from a place of fear. I think a lot of it comes from a place of the church is so worried about offending someone that oftentimes they're inspiring no one. You mm-hmm. made, actually, you made another statement that, gosh, I, I think it's so powerful, and yet I think we need to we need to go a little bit deeper on this you made a statement that even now you're not completely healed now you have what if i remember correctly is it three children is that right
1: actually i have two children i have a son and a daughter
0: okay i'm giving you one more than what you go maybe you're What's funny you funny you
1: say that <laughs> this is a huge um we're we're praying about that um <laughs> you know the lord just has put it on my heart and Anyway, so so maybe that was a prophetic <laughs>
0: statement. There you go. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you, you mentioned that, you know, even now you're not fully healed. And I can't help but think, but there are people who will be listening to this podcast. And again, maybe it's not an abortion. Maybe it's some other embarrassment, something else that they're dealing with shame about, some other past regret, some other major failure in their life. And maybe, I mean, you mentioned, I think you said you're 41. I think this happened at 18. So we're talking over 20 years ago. And I love your honesty because I think we as believers go, okay, I found Jesus. I love Jesus. And so since I'm a believer now, I've got to put up this image in this front that now everything's okay. And once you meet the Lord, everything just goes away and becomes perfect. And I love your authenticity to say, you know what? I've not fully healed. Obviously, you've healed to a great degree. You've got a great marriage. You've got two beautiful children, possibly a third in the future. (laughs) God is using your story. You're able to impact and influence and lead and guide other people, which is awesome. But yet at the same time, you said, I'm not fully healed. Speak to the people who are listening to this podcast today. Again, it may not even be an abortion issue, but they're still struggling. And it may have been something that happened six months ago. It may have been something that happened 30 years ago. What would you say to those people who, like you, they're still dealing with it? And again, I can just tell from your story and how God is using you, there has been a great degree of healing. What would you say to them? And would you also say that for you, Ashley, that that you come to terms with that it's okay that I've not fully healed, that it's okay for you that your ultimate complete healing may not come until you step into the other side and you're at the feet of Christ.
1: Right. I think that, you know, the ultimate thing that, that I try and remember every single day and, and and I could do better at this. You know, you mentioned I was a nurse practitioner or that I am a nurse practitioner and I work in medical oncology. So we have these, these heavy conversations with patients that's, you know, cancer and, Everybody's healing doesn't come fully on this side of heaven, but one way or another, we are healed. All we are called to do here on this side of heaven is to surrender anything that we know to surrender and pray about whatever that is, surrender it to Jesus, because He wants to. Help us to walk in freedom and healing. We're imperfect, you know. He's perfect. We're imperfect. And our our goal is to be filled with the righteousness of Christ. But still, we have to understand we all have human elements. We all have bad days, hard days. We may be tired. We may be struggling. You know, we may The Lord has shown me through these years of this that every time I uncover and, and quote, unquote, heal in one particular area, well, then he realizes, okay, now she's ready for me to deal with this thing, (laughs) you know, that she kind of forgot was a problem. And so we're always unfolding like a flower. And... You know, just like a flower. I mean, I think it's so perfect the way God has put everything in His Word. There's seasons. There's seasons where we feel more healed than others, but we can't go by feelings you know, there's always going to be areas and room for growth. And I think that's an exciting thing. That's an encouraging thing. And I think the more real we are with people, you know, first of all, it takes away shame. And that is the power of the enemy is through shame. You know, it opens so many doors to all these things where we try and escape the truth. But if we can just be honest and surrender that to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not going to worry if people judge me. I'm not going to worry if people think ill of me, because I always say this from the beginning of of my journey, when I started to speak, you know, more publicly, I would say a hundred people can be mad at me, but even if just one person gets healed, just like the sheep, really, I should say 99, shouldn't I? (laughs) But even if just one person, can see that I'm human, I'm walking through this, they're not alone, there is redemption on the other side, then it's worth speaking about this. And, you know, none of us are perfect. But the more and more that we can open up about the struggles, the sin nature, and all of these things that we all have, nobody's exempt, we all fall short. You know, God, that's when he can really start to do things and help us to walk in freedom and and basically allow us to even further impact his kingdom. You
0: know, you know, uh, know, actually, I think some people um, and and honestly, of everything that's been said on this podcast today, what you are currently talking about for me personally um, resonates more than anything. I know people that have had various issues and they have been instantly, permanently healed and have been able to walk away from it. Yet, I also know people who have issues and mistakes and failures and problems. And as you stated, they may never be completely healed. I've got a daughter that has an incurable disease. The doctors have told us there is no cure. Obviously, I want that. We all want instantaneous, miraculous healing. We all want that. But sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes, as you stated, and I believe wholeheartedly, and I know there's preachers on TV late at night that will tell you that no matter what it is, that God wants you to be healed today. And and again, sometimes that does happen, but that's not always the case. God's plan is not always that. Now, as you did accurately state, Ultimate healing comes for all of us. Ultimately, every single one of us win. But I I just gotta think that there are people today. I needed to hear that, Ashley, because sometimes obviously I wish that my daughter would not have to get a shot every month that's tens of thousands of dollars. I, I, I wish that this disease would go away. And I'm not saying that it's not possible that God may still remove the disease regardless of what doctors say. But I think people need to hear what you said, that it's okay that sometimes there is a process of healing. Sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. you know, I would even say to people who are listening to this podcast today, what would you think? Can you imagine the possibility that your greatest failure, your worst mistake, your biggest secret, that in that may be hidden your greatest life's mission? Can, Can you imagine a world where whatever issue you're listening to as you, uh, that, that you're dealing with as you listen to this podcast, that it very well may be that God's greatest work, not only in your life, but in the life of other people may be tied to your greatest pain. And Ashley, to me, you're an example of that. Here is this issue that brought so much shame, so much guilt, so much hurt, and even physical consequences that came as a result. But rather than allowing it to jade you and make you bitter God is using your story and your pain as a catalyst to help other people. And I wholeheartedly and firmly believe that even whether healing comes instantaneously or whether it never happens until the other side, that you are the living example of what God wants us to do. He wants us to do what you're doing. He wants us to continue to trust him, to continue to work towards that process of healing, to continue to have faith and to believe for that. But to allow this deepest wound, this largest scar to be the very potential mission, the greatest relationship we could have with Christ, the greatest worth that we could pass on to this world being tied to our greatest pain, that that to me... Man, Ashley, that is that's that's great stuff. I, I feel I feel I, I feel motivated and encouraged, inspired by that. And, and, and talking, Ashley, about healing though, I do think it's important as we we get close to wrapping up today. Even though you've not completely healed from this, what is the things that you're doing for a person? Again, maybe it's abortion, maybe it's a completely different issue, but what are those things, steps that you're taking? that are part of that process of you healing It's part of that. I, I know part of it is using your story to help other people. I would assume that part of that is your ongoing walk with the Lord, but maybe you could expand on that.
1: Absolutely. You know, that's God's given me and it, 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 he amazes me with with different opportunities that literally come out of nowhere, you know, such as this. But just to be able to speak my story and, and he, that's a promise that, that he gave me a few years back. So I just try and be obedient to these things, no matter what spiritual warfare I encounter on the front end, because it always happens. But, you know, I try and, and, and do that because that helps with healing of others, and it helps with you know the process of healing in me as well. I, I do my best, and by no means am I perfect. You could ask my husband, <laughs> but I try to just be intentional about learning more and more about myself as to how did I get to that place? Why did I get to that place? Lord, is there anything, you know, creating me a pure heart? Lord, help me see. So Lord help me to see. Is there anything still in me that needs to be surrendered at the feet of Jesus that that is not healthy? Lies that I believe. I'm reading an incredible book right now. It's a Christian book, but it's about telling yourself the truth. And it's so hard to realize that we tell each other we I mean I'm sorry, we tell ourselves lies every day. I mean, I'm not trying to be negative or heavy, but We don't realize our self-talk sometimes. So, you know, I just do the best I can to to try and grow in those areas and just to love on people and especially my family and, and just let God work through me. You know, throughout the busyness of life, we all find that difficult, but doing the best I can to stop and just see, you know, each and every moment, what has God put before me? What opportunities can I bless other people? because we get blessed all at the same time, you
0: know? Well, obviously, as you have cultivated your relationship to the Lord, that has been the biggest catalyst in facilitating your healing. I love what you said, too, about, and I can't remember the exact words, but the way I interpreted it was it's not just me learning new things, it's unlearning old things. <laughs> I think yeah. I think that's really important to, to to for us to be able to look back and say, "Hey, what are some of the decisions, or what are some of the things that that led to this place?" I just mm-hmm. lo- I just love the fact, Ashley, because again, I, obviously, this is a, a, a huge issue. This, this is a very controversial topic. This is something that brings out the best in some and the worst in others. But I just love I I, I just love the fact that this can be one of the deepest wounds that anybody can experience. And yet right. you're proving that even the deepest of wounds oftentimes have the greatest of missions. You know, it brings me to really what what has changed your life and what has changed mine. And I think it's important for people to hear today. It, it really doesn't matter what you've done. What matters is the fact of understanding that there is a God named Jesus who came for broken people. He came for people like you and I, Ashley, who've made some major mistakes, who've dropped the ball, who have some skeletons in our closet. He doesn't Mm -hmm. run to the righteous. He runs to the broken and he makes it clear that that's who he came for and who he came to. And so even for those of you that are listening to the podcast today, and again, whether it's the abortion issue or whatever it is in your life that you look back on and and, and, and you just want to cover it up. You want to war- run from it. You want to hide from it. The enemy <laughs> constantly assaults you about it. He heaps shame and regret and embarrassment upon you. He makes it hard for you to take steps, steps forward because he's always wanting you to look behind you. The reminder that regardless of what you've done, Christ came for you. And he does want to bring healing in your life. He does want to take your hurt and use it to not only make you more like his son, but he also wants to use it as a as a springboard to enable you to help other people who are going through the same scenario. That no, he's not, as Ashley talked about when she went through that phase of wondering, is God punishing me? Is this going to be a lifelong scenario where God's unleashing, unleashing vengeance upon me? That's not who he is, and that's not what he's about. And it all begins... Obviously, first of all, with knowing him personally, with getting to that place where Ashley and I got where, no, it's not just knowing about God, but it's realizing that Jesus Christ is a Son of God and our willingness to turn to him and put our trust in him and invite him into our life. Matter of fact, just yesterday, actually, a lady came to our office to bring a payment for a rental house of my folks. And she doesn't really know anything about me. She doesn't know my background. But anyway, she was in the the entryway, the foyer of our offices and picked up a brochure and was beginning to realize pretty quick that I was an evangelist. And so we got to talking Mm -hmm. and uh, she stood right there in the foyer yesterday. And she asked me a little bit about my story. And I didn't go into great detail. I had a busy day yesterday, but tears started going down her cheeks. And she started telling me about how that she had been addicted to meth years ago and about Mm -hmm. how her life had fallen apart. You know, there's people all around us, Ashley, that they need hope, and and they are hurting. And sometimes, even as in your case, Ashley, there are people that I would have nobody would have assumed that you had some of the struggles that you had, and there are people like you and I everywhere that Christ is willing mm-hmm. to run to. So today, for those of you that are listening, if you don't know him, today's the day to fall on your knees and invite him in your life. And if you do know him, it's the reminder that he loves you, that he forgives you, that he has an amazing plan for your life, and that He wants to, and He will bring healing. Hopefully today. If not today, hopefully this week. But even if not this week, or this year, or ever, eventually you will have it at the feet of Christ. Ashley, you've been an incredible guest today. So much respect for you. Just love your story. Love what you're doing with it. If one of our listeners want to get in touch with you, Ashley, is there a way to do that? Is it through social media? Is it through email? What is the best way to connect
1: with you? I would say through email. So I can certainly, do you want me to, to give that address right
0: now. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. I'm just being told of one of our team members that we have that email address, and we'll connect that when we post oh, this on, on social media. Ashley, great. you've been great. I just, I, again, so much respect for you. I just thank God for what you're doing with your pain. Praise God for, obviously, a, a great husband that you must have, your two beautiful yeah. children, and maybe a possible third. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You never know. You never
0: know. (laughs) But thank you so much for your time. It's been great having you today.
1: Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you.